Hello and welcome to ISA Conversations, Women in the Law of the Sea, a special production of the International Seabed Authority in celebration of the remarkable contributions of women to the progressive development of the law of the sea. I'm your host, Mark Thomas, and today we meet a brilliant young marine scientist from Africa, Dr. Kirsty McQuaid the third recipient of the ISA Secretary General Award for Excellence in Deep Sea Research, who has been cited for her extraordinary work in designing networks of marine protected areas around South Africa, as well as for her important research work in the clarion Clipperton Zone in the Pacific. Dr. McQuaid, welcome to the conversation. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Now, you are properly titled as a deep sea benthic ecologist. What does a deep sea benthic ecologist do? <laughs> so a benthic ecologist studies the animals that live at the bottom of the sea or on the sea floor. So they look at what types of animals are found there, how the different animals interact with each other. And so they also look at where different animals are found. So on land, you know, you would have different animals in a desert or in a forest. In the same way, um, in the ocean, we look at that. And a deep sea benthic ecology is just explores all of that, but in the deep sea, which is those areas of the ocean that's deeper than 200 meters. Do you have to go to those depths in the sea to do your work? Yes, yeah, we do. So technically the deep sea is deeper than 200 meters. I mean, in places like South Africa, where we um, don't have a lot of equipment to study really deep waters, we also call areas a bit shallower than that kind of offshore research or or deep sea research. But yes, we have to uh, travel deep down in the ocean to see what lives there. So your outstanding work in marine research earned you the ISA Secretary General Award for Excellence in Deep Sea Research. I know this award is given to researchers under 35 from developing countries. Why was this recognition important to you and for your home country, South Africa? On a personal note, it's really um, wonderful to receive kind of recognition of the work that you've done during a PhD, which was what the work was relevant for the award. Um, so a lot of people have a really challenging time during a PhD, I know I certainly did. So it's uh, it's nice in that respect, obviously, to get recognition for that. And uh, for my career going forward, it's, it's really, um, really wonderful. I suppose for South Africa, it's it's good um, to receive recognition of deep sea scientists from Africa or from South Africa. We really kind of lag in deep sea expertise when compared to other, a lot of other nations, um, a lot of European nations and America, places like that. So in that sense, it's really great to kind of raise the profile of South Africa or African country to raise the profile of, of us as having deep sea expertise um, and hopefully to kind of encourage other young scientists who might be interested in going into this field, that kind of thing. And I think it also kind of highlights the importance of these training opportunities. So my PhD was funded through the ISA's training program for building capacity in developing nations. And it kind of highlights how these can have um, a much greater impact beyond just that of a scientist or of an individual, I suppose. 
and it, it highlights the opportunities that are created through that. So obviously I, I had to move abroad to do my PhD because we don't necessarily have the capacity within South Africa to do deep sea research or, or to support uh, PhDs who want to do deep sea research. Um, and so I had to move abroad, which was really difficult, but then it was also a really amazing opportunity. And I kind of had experiences that if I'd stayed in South Africa, I would never have, have been exposed to those kind of opportunities. So I was obviously su supported by a really amazing team, supervisor and academic team at the university that I was based at in Plymouth. But I was also um, able to go to events like ISA meetings and workshops and, and that kind of stuff that was facilitated by my funders um, and through this training program. So in that sense, it's it's good also for South Africa to have now a deep sea biologist or, you know, yeah. who who has who has been in those kind of arenas. So to, to have scientific expertise and people who've understand a little bit about how processes work um, at that level um, and understand the broader context of where our deep sea research fits in. So in that sense, I think it was good as well. So you grew up in South Africa for all your life and you went to Plymouth, to the UK, the University of Plymouth to study. How was yeah. that experience for you? Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was a really good experience. It was a very challenging experience. Um, I think Many people have to move abroad to do their PhDs um, if they, you know, want to work in some specific area, niche area um, that their country doesn't necessarily have expertise in or if they get a funding opportunity, you know, it's quite common for people to move abroad. Um, and it's really challenging because you're leaving your loved ones, your family, your support network. Um, so it adds kind of a layer of difficulty to doing your studies, you know, on top of what's already a pretty challenging thing. Um, but then, as I said, obviously, it also opens up a huge amount of opportunities, which I would never have got if I'd stayed in South Africa. And obviously, I touched on like networking opportunities, getting connected to other scientists in the UK, but also abroad. Um, and we, you know, the, the opportunities of traveling to conferences and, and all those kinds of things that are, which I wouldn't have got if I had stayed here. So that was really amazing. And it was also just wonderful to kind of become entrenched in a different culture. Um, you know, the UK is quite different to South Africa. Um, so yeah, in, in that sense, it was wonderful. Um, and I met my future, my fiance there, which was really obviously life changing. So Overall, I would say it was a, a life-changing experience, yeah. That's wonderful. You went to study and you also found love, eh? <laughs> Yes, yeah, I did. <laughs> okay, so wedding bells are in the near future? Yes, yeah, we're getting married in October. It's very exciting. <laughs> wow, congratulations. So let's switch uh, a little bit, um, Kirsty, and, and consider women and the, the role of women in the law of the sea. You know, whether in international law or in marine science research, which is your area, this field has really been male dominated from time immemorial. Uh, and I know of significant steps being taken by organizations like ISA, the wider United Nations as well, to attract more women into marine science research, especially in positions of leadership. Why should more women consider careers in this area of marine sciences? 
and what might be done from your vantage point to balance the gender scales, so to speak? Yeah, that's a great question. So in my field, um, unlike a lot of other STEM subjects like engineering, maths, things like that, there are quite a, a lot of women in marine science, I found, marine biology, I should say, um, specifically, unlike maybe geology or something like that. So in, in marine biology, there are quite a lot of um, female scientists, but this isn't always the case when you look at more senior uh, levels. I mean, there are many incredible deep sea um, researchers um, in very senior positions who are women um, and they are incredible and play a really important role, I think, in kind of encouraging next generation of women to, you know, get involved in, in marine science. But yeah, it's definitely something that needs addressing. Um, I think firstly, it's kind of thinking about why should women get into this field? On the one hand, it's so... I think particularly deep sea science, aside from just marine science, is so exciting. I think it's such an incredible opportunity to go to places that people have never seen before. You're discovering animals that you know are new to science. No one's ever seen them. Um, so in that respect, there's a lot of yeah, just excitement and exploration and you know intrigue and all the rest. So from that sense, I think it's amazing. And also you have the opportunity to make a real difference. I know like a lot of young people these days feel they've spoken about climate anxiety or feeling like you, you, you know, there are these massive challenges in the world and wanting to make a difference. And I think this is a field where you really can make a difference and you can feel as if you're making a difference also. So your hard work is going somewhere. And I think that women can play a really key role in that. Um, but in terms of, of encouraging more women in, in this field or facilitating more women to get into this field and kind of addressing the gender balance issues, I think something that definitely needs to be looked at is maternity cover um, or sorry, kind of maternity leave or parental leave when you have young women wanting to start families. I think it's a real issue. Um, I can only speak, obviously, from my experience in academia, where people of a the age where you might want to start um, having a family or something, you're often dealing with a lot of job um, instability. And so you're working from short contract to short contract, or you're, you're required to travel a lot. Um, and so that obviously isn't really conducive to um, starting a family or creates a lot of instability. So addressing that is definitely something. Um, but also things like shared parental leave. Um, I was talking to um, a young woman recently about this um, and kind of having uh, shared parental leave so that, you know, if, if you are a, a wife and husband or whatever, the husband taking some parental leave as well so that um, the wife or the woman can get back to work um, sooner if that's what you would like. And and so that kind of also helps to even out gaps in your CV or, you know, gaps in your career so that it becomes a bit more normalized for men to also have gaps in their career uh, and not just women and kind of equals it out a bit in that sense. You're looking to start mm -hmm. a family. So... Are you mentally ready for the potential <laughs> challenge of that's balancing that work and family? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Am I, um, 
I, th- I suppose I'm preparing myself for that. Um, but, but I think another key thing is like having very open and honest conversations with your line manager about it. I have an incredible, um, I have two amazing line managers, both of whom are females who've had children. So they're very understanding and compassionate. But I think, um, yeah, kind of being able to have those open conversations is very important, as well as maybe discussing things like flexibility and your working hours and that kind of thing. And I think we're definitely moving more towards that mode of work. I think COVID has changed things for a lot of people. Um, yeah, so I would say that. The, the last thing, sorry, that I just wanted to say on kind of trying to address these, the, the gender imbalance is also things like I was reflecting, you know, how have I experienced things in my professional life where I felt that I was maybe not discriminated against because I was female but that kind of thing and something that that came to mind was you know when you are doing things in the field or something that's maybe more like you know tying ropes or picking up heavy things or or those kinds of like hands-on skills where oftentimes often oftentimes i've experienced this that um the senior in charge will kind of automatically turn to the males in the group and just say you know so and so will you grab this and just do that quickly and i think that it's um it's just kind of looking at those biases so as as a senior member of a group who might have if you're a line manager or whatever you might have um, students under you, it's kind of checking those biases and, you know, saying, may, maybe going to the female members of your group and saying, would you do this? Because I think it then, those kinds of biases and experiences compound to then, you know, maybe the female members of your group become less confident, have less skills in those areas. So, yeah, just checking those biases, I think, is really important that women feel comfortable and, yeah. Dr. Kirsty McQuaid, a South African marine biologist doing extraordinary work in marine science research. We're going to take a quick break now from the conversation. Uh, We'll be right back to hear some more important perspectives from Dr. McQuaid. Welcome back to ISA Conversations, Women in the Law of the Sea. And we're having a real riveting conversation here with Dr. Kirsty McQuaid, a marine scientist, recipient of the ISA Secretary General's Award for Excellence in Deep Sea Research. Now, Dr. McQuaid, I reckon that during your academic studies and your research that you would have given considerable thought to this dictum, the oceans being the common heritage of mankind. Um, In the context of what you've done and what you're going to do, your whole career is ahead of you now, how would you classify the value of your work to humanity? So... All creatures, kind of whether they're big or small, have um, a role to play in the functioning of our planet. Um, and so, whether it's you know a sponge that's important in nutrient cycling or something like that, you know, everything is connected, and all animals have a role to play, and they support human well-being. So, whether that's through climate, you know, regulating climate change or 
nutrient cycling. Um, and so in the deep sea, we don't necessarily understand um, all of these linkages yet, but we know that everything is interconnected. And so the first step is to try and understand what different animals are found where, what different functions they have that support these different things called ecosystem services that support human well-being um, and allow the planet to function as it does. And so that's kind of where I see my work fitting in. And so particularly when we're talking about areas beyond national jurisdiction or in international waters, the common heritage of mankind, um, that these areas and the resources in them belong to, you know, everyone. Um, it's really important that we manage them in a, a responsible way. And so I see um, our work fitting into creating a broader picture about what is what is there so that we can manage human exploitation in these areas in a responsible way so that the planet and everyone living in it benefits, you know. Yes, great. Dr. McQuaid, when you reflect on the arc of history and the progressive development of the law of the sea, particularly against the background of the UN 2030 agenda for sustainable development, what do you see ahead beyond the horizon and where do you see yourself in the future? I think that we are starting to look at these really big challenges in a much more holistic way to how we may previously have been. Um, and I think that that's really interesting and it has a huge potential to actually make change to the way that humans use the planet and interact with the planet. And so I think going forward, things are really focusing on, on cooperation, collaboration, leaving no one behind, and particularly from an African perspective, making sure that, you know, we have the expertise to go forward and to participate in these processes so that we can manage things in a really holistic and and not necessarily like single sector way all different human activities are impacting the planet and we need to make sure that we we're managing it in a, in a really holistic way so that's that's where i see that we're headed and we are already starting to move in that direction through the the sdgs um and going forward. And so I would see my position in that. I would just hope to support um, African deep sea science so that we can participate in these processes. Where would you want to see African deep sea science go though? And in terms of the continent, you know, benefiting from the treasures of the ocean? Well, I mean, in terms of deep sea science, that we have a long way to go in building capacity and ensuring that um, we have the expertise within country and on the continent to um, advise our various governments and nations to make decisions um, that are best based on the best um, available science um, and the best available knowledge. And um, in terms of African participation in activities in the high seas, I, I don't, I can't really comment on that. But in terms of the science, I would hope that that we can build a, a network um, of scientists on the continent so that we can support our governments in whatever decision-making they need. Dr. Kirsty McQuaid, South African marine scientist and deep-sea benthic ecologist. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. We know great exploits are ahead and we'll be tracking your work, One Ocean 
at a time. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much. This has been ISA Conversations, Women in the Law of the Sea, a special production of the International Seabed Authority in celebration of the remarkable contributions of women to the progressive development of the law of the sea. I'm your host, Mark Thomas. Until next time, thank you for listening.